I pay homage to the Buddha. I pay homage to the Dhamma. I pay homage to the Sangha. Can everyone uh, hear me in the back? Do I need to use the microphone? Okay, cool. My big, booming, loud voice is paying off. While we were meditating just now, uh, a fly was becoming very well acquainted with my face. And uh, I'm excited that the fly wants to hear the Dharma. Good for the fly, but it needs to find a better seat. That's what I was thinking while I was sitting. So Bhante uh, Shanti brought up that I am now studying at University of the West. I'm about a month in to my master's program in psychology. It's very exciting. And it's also kind of what I wanted to talk about today. Because about a month in, now four weeks, I've been feeling that, that heat turning up. More assignments due, more reading necessary. Started joining a couple clubs. I started working on campus as a TA trying to fill in all my reading. I get home at 9.30 at night and I want to spend time with my wife, which means I end up staying up until midnight talking with her and all of these responsibilities. And at the end of this week, I started to really feel the accumulation of all of that. And I began to feel a bit spread thin. And I think that's something that we can all relate with, something that we've all felt at one point in our lives Maybe that's most of our lives, in which case this talk should be really helpful. Because one thing that I've been learning about in my classes is the importance of self-care. Now, self-care can mean a lot of different things depending on who you speak to, but psychotherapists talk about self-care as primarily those things that you do that help keep your emotions healthy. The things you do to de-stress and to find balance in your lives. That can be a lot of things for a lot of different people. It can be going on a bike ride, going on a hike, listening to your favorite music, sitting down in the quiet with a good cup of tea. It can be all of these things. But for a therapist, they become important because you're working with a lot of people all the time and hearing about all their problems and you got this big stack of case files and all these things to write. And certain things can happen if you allow yourself to deplete, to be spread too thin. You might have compassion fatigue. It's hard to relate to a client. Now, it's also important for clients because they're often there for reasons like stress and anxiety and depression. But overall, self-care is something that all of us probably have done in one way or another throughout our lives and should be doing throughout our lives. Habitually, day to day, finding little things that bring us joy and bring us back to balance. Tying that in, for me, I feel that Buddhism is one of the best ways to self-care. And I'm gonna tie that in, not only in the sense that it's descriptive, that's just what Buddhism is, a form of self-care, perhaps more appropriately called that than being called like a, a psychology or a psychotherapy. I feel like that is not accurate. You know, psychotherapy is about mental health, but Buddhism, its ultimate goal is the transcendence of any concept of I, me, or mine. So I would say it's even transcending the notion of mental health. 
that can mean a lot of things, but I, I do think that's, that's important to say. But Buddhism as self-care, that's something that I can relate to and say enthusiastically, for sure, Buddhism is self-care as a description. But also, prescriptively, Buddhism works best when we treat it as a form of self-care. It's very easy to think of Buddhism, the Eightfold Path, the Middle Way, a lot like martial arts training or a discipline. We even use that kind of language in terms of guarding the senses, training the mind, disciplining the mind. But when we approach it from the sense of self-care, it begins to take on a slightly different quality, even in the scope of meditation. Now, a lot of people today will talk about how effective meditation is as a form of self-care, and they're absolutely right. But if you read some literature on Buddhist meditation and they use words like effort and focus and concentration, you might lose that aspect of self-care that we can find. I've talked about this many times in how I approached breath meditation as something that needed to be controlled and constrained. I would focus very deeply on the breath and breathe very forcefully, and I couldn't just relax. But over time, I, I found that concentration began to develop more naturally, more easily, when I relaxed into the breath. And when I could just relax with it, I found that my mind would naturally gravitate to the breath all on its own. It became something that I've heard other people call effortless effort. That's something that I've also used in that sense, too. That's, it is something that is focused, but without any form of tension. Recently, I heard a, a Dharma talk at Abhayagiri. I didn't actually go to Abhayagiri Monastery physically, but they do have a podcast. Now, if you haven't heard of Abhayagiri Monastery, they are in the Thai forest tradition, and they're up north, and they, they have great talks you can find very easily online if you just type in Abhayagiri, and we'll work on the spelling if any of you afterward are interested. But one of their monks was also talking about this concept of how we approach breath meditation and how it becomes this thing that we can turn into this, this very tense practice. And the way he phrased it, which is in, very much in line with the way I think of relaxing into the breath, he called sitting and enjoying the breath. And when you think about that, it, for me, it, it completely changes this notion that meditation is this forceful, constrained, tense activity, but something that we can just open up to. If we're using mindfulness of breathing, then we can just relax. We can just enjoy. And doing that is very restorative. And we find deep absorption in those moments because there's no tension there. There's nothing that we're resisting. Another term that I've, I've heard is, is guarding the senses. We talk about this in, in the way we train our activities, our, our actions, our, our thoughts. The senses, if, if you know, in, in the Buddhist tradition, not only involve the body, but the mind. We treat the mind as a sense. And we talk about how we, we guard them from, from all the things in the world. But another way of thinking about the senses is taking care of them, 
protecting them rather than guarding them. This fly is still getting around my face. So interested in the Dharma, this fly. When we change this, this attitude we have of that we must protect ourselves in this way, like a very guarded way to rather taking care of ourselves. Think about the way we use our senses, our eyes plastered to the TV, plastered to our phones, our ears constantly listening to the radio or constantly hearing music or people talking. When do we ever let silence and stillness and quiet enter our, enter our lives? The same thing with taste. This is something I work on a lot because you can tell I'm a big guy. It didn't happen overnight. It's a long, long love affair of milkshakes and pizzas and nachos and other poor midnight snack choices. But that's one way that we start feeding and overwhelming our senses. In a way, we're not taking care of ourselves. That's another sense of self-care. And so when we talk about a, a refuge or a retreat from the society we find ourselves in, we're really retreating from these things that might be unskillful, the ways in which we might be damaging or overwhelming ourselves and not giving us the space we need to take care of ourselves and to heal. This isn't the first time, by the way, I've had this problem as a student. I'm a bit of a go-getter, and uh, I, I do have a tendency to push myself, and I have this desire to be the best, the best student, the star student. And so even as an undergrad, I would pride myself in how I was running myself into the ground multiple cups of coffee. I would skip meals to work on assignments. I was just radiating energy and stress and going, see, see how great a student I am. And that's not sustainable. I tried that for a, for a long time, longer than I should have. And over time, I felt that wear and tear on my body and on my mind. And we see people like this all the time. We've been these people many times because we live in a culture in the West that is very focused on goals and achieving them. In a few months, we're going to get really close to New Year's Eve. And what's another thing that people do? Make more goals. There's always something to accomplish. We're very uncomfortable with simply being. And yet, that's often the thing that's the most restorative and when we do it, we're able to spring into action rejuvenated. It can be tricky because it can seem like a selfish act or a lazy act to simply take care of ourselves. So much so that I even found a meme in regard to this last night. Complete happenstance. I was already planning on talking about self-care anyway. But I'm on Facebook, another great use of my time, and I find this meme on self-care. And it, it's, it's a beautiful little picture. It's got like a table and a, a cup of tea, we're assuming. And it has this quote that says, self-care is not selfish. You cannot pour from an empty cup. Something along those lines. And we do have this, this notion that if we were really compassionate 
and really wise and really awakened, we would just be giving and giving and giving and giving and, and never resting and never taking in. But even monks don't do this, by the way. They make sure that they have at least the requisites. And typically, these are requisites rather given to them by the community, but still things that are needed to live a healthy life. You still need to make sure that you're being fed. You still need to make sure that you're taking your medicine. You need to make sure that you're clothed appropriately. You need to make sure that you have a place to rest, a place to sleep. These are requisites that are not only for monastics, but for all of us. How many of us have been so busy that we just decided to skip a meal? How many of us have been so focused on a task that we didn't go to sleep on time and we feel it the next day, that tiredness sinking into the bones, the grumpiness? There's a reason there's such a long line at Starbucks and it's not for their affordable prices. It's because of that delicious caffeine that we use to medicate rather than just rest. Don't get me wrong. I love coffee. Great. I've been drinking coffee since I was a little kid, probably because I'm Colombian and that's a thing that we do with kids. Like here, here's some milk with a little coffee. And then we add more coffee to the milk over time. And then by the time we're in our twenties and thirties, we're drinking it black. But I do understand why, because I am totally that person that would rather drink two or three cups of coffee a day than to take the time to rest. And I was speaking to someone about this recently where he was talking about his meditation and saying, you know, recently I've been trying to meditate and each time I do, I just keep falling asleep. And I looked at him with all seriousness and said, well, why don't you just go to sleep? But that can be tricky because again, there's a certain way we approach even Buddhism in the West where it, it has to be this disciplined activity. We got to sit there and muscle through it. Even if we can see and realize that bodily we are quite exhausted. And so I had to tell him, you know, when those moments happen, I just go take a nap. I can always meditate later. He was surprised that I had said this, but in truth, sometimes that's what you need. Everything in balance, everything in moderation, we have to approach our practice skillfully. We have to see our practice as self-care. And sometimes self-care is sitting. Sometimes it's lying down. Sometimes it's resting. Sometimes it's activity. But we have to be aware of those moments and what we need right then and there. I think that part of the reason why, beside, besides our culture, is that we haven't, we haven't realized how good it is to simply be. It does feel selfish, doesn't it, sometimes? I know that, that when I retreat to my fortress of solitude that I call my apartment, and I don't go out with friends, and I don't go visit family, and I spend time alone, reading a book, it can sometimes feel like I'm doing something wrong.
But then I do force myself out there into the world in those moments. And I'm certainly not my best. That's when I'm more prone to get angry and yell. I end up getting on the freeway and I'm stuck in traffic, going to a place I didn't want to go to in the first place. I get there and I start snapping at people and I'm sitting there and I'm just basically sulking like a kid. I know I'm not the only one who's reacted to life that way. But it can be very demoralizing, especially if you consider yourself a good person, a patient person, a kind person. And then in those moments, you seem like anything but. This happened uh, quite recently to me, where after a long week of, of school and work, I wasn't particularly in a very good mood. And my wife was out spending the day with uh, my mother-in-law. And they had gone shopping and my wife had gotten a haircut and they were having this this great day and they thought you know it'd be great let's let's invite steven over to have dinner with us and so we met up at a restaurant to have dinner but the thing is i didn't really want to be around anyone i had spent the whole week being around a lot of people in a program where we're sharing our feelings all the time it involves a lot of introspection and a lot of digging stuff up. And we're really just getting in the habit of sharing a lot of things with each other that can be very uncomfortable. And by the end of it, you just don't want to talk. And so there it is, the weekend, Saturday. I don't have to talk. But then people are asking, well, how's school going? What are you studying? Well, tell me about this. Tell me about that. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And I've been talking forever for a whole week. They don't know. So I'm not making eye contact. I'm not talking. I'm trying to retreat as much as I can into myself, even though I'm in this very public space. And it became an issue afterward. I ended up finding out that my mother-in-law was extremely uncomfortable and not very happy with me. She didn't like the way I was talking to her. She didn't like the way I was talking to my wife. She didn't like the way I was interacting or not interacting. She felt like an imposition, like she shouldn't have been there. All of these things that had spiraled out from me simply not wanting to be there. But here's the important part. I could have just not gone. Because if I had respected my own needs and had really thought about it in terms of self-care, I would have known that the better option, really, truly, would have been just to stay home. But sometimes we think that, no, 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 I have to sacrifice. I need to push myself. I need to be a martyr. And you really don't. None of us do. Because if I had taken that time to really just rest, meditate even, that's another thing that's been slipping for me recently. And as a Dharma teacher, to be like, oh, no, I haven't been meditating as much. Like, oh, but it happens. There's a lot of things going on. I had time that I set aside to meditate every day. And at least two of, two of those days now, I'm having to drive an hour in traffic to get to a university to be a teaching assistant. And that time that I would have spent sitting, I'm now sitting, but now in traffic. Very different. I could have spent that time that Saturday evening in meditation instead. Instead of going to a restaurant I didn't want to go to, 
And instead of having to speak when I didn't feel like speaking. But it felt so selfish, you know, to just stay home. My mother-in-law wanted to see me. My wife was excited about her new haircut. She wanted me to see that too. And people were asking things of me. When people ask, we just want to give in. We want to be useful. We want to be kind. We want to be loved and appreciated. And sometimes we feel like if we don't do these things, we won't be, maybe. That if we're not the star employee, maybe we won't have a job. And yet we work ourselves so ragged that our work isn't so great anyway. All of these little things. So I think it's important for all of us to think about what self-care is and whether or not we're actually applying it to our lives. Are we taking care of ourselves? Not only physically, you know, I don't mean just brushing your teeth and making sure your, your, your clothes are clean and all that. That stuff's important too. But your emotional health, are you doing anything about it? And even if you decide, like me, that your Buddhist practice of the Eightfold Path is one of those best ways to provide self-care, are you really taking the time to do those things? Are you guarding the senses? But perhaps we can rephrase that as, or reframe it as, taking care of the senses. Because then we're really just taking care of our body and our mind. Allowing moments of quiet, of stillness, of peace. Making sure that we abide by the precepts, which honestly are also a form of self-care. You wouldn't think so, but skillful speech all by itself. It seems like it's for others, but it's also for us. Because if you're not lying, whoo, a lot less to remember. You ever try to remember a lie or who knows something and who doesn't, and then it just kind of flies out, and then just more discomfort, more stress in your life. The same thing with harsh speech and malicious speech. Gossip. Gossip can be draining. You wouldn't think so, but it can be, and it's certainly damaging. But when we use true speech, kind speech, pleasant speech, when we make sure to maybe refrain from talking, we find more peace in our lives, and we find that we're not carrying so much stress. And we find that we live the blameless life, which is one of the things that the Buddha encouraged us to do. I know that there are a lot of things I regret saying throughout the course of my life. And a lot of those things were said when I was extremely stressed. Same thing with actions. The most unskillful things I've done, when I really look at why they happened, a lot of it comes down to not paying attention to what I really needed in that moment. I was not taking care of myself. And it didn't only just affect me, it affected others, because we are interconnected. And that's one of the things we try to develop in Buddhism is wisdom, discernment, understanding of ourselves and our minds, and our needs. And we find that. We find that when we do retreat a bit. 
retreat itself is something that, that kind of scares us in, in the West too, because uh, we have all these fun toys and all sorts of diversions, and we're afraid that if we give up the stuff that stresses us, we'll also give up the stuff that pleases us, and uh, yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe that, maybe that does happen. And maybe that's okay, because maybe the stuff that pleases us isn't good for us, like milkshakes. Oh, man. Very pleasing. Maybe not good for us. I used to really enjoy uh, margaritas and uh, gin. Maybe not so good for us. There are a lot of things like that in our lives that seem restorative and yet are not. How many people turn to those things when they're stressed and tired and worn out? Think about the people that at the end of their day, when it's really rough and it's been really long, decide to go out to a bar or a club, which is not all that relaxing, honestly. I ended up going to a Mexican restaurant on a, on a Wednesday night, and I was there for dinner with friends, and it, it was delightful. It was great. But we were sitting out in this nice little patio area, and we were just enjoying our food and interacting with each other. And then as we left, we realized it had gotten into you know, 10, 11 o'clock, and the rest of the restaurant had turned into like a club. There were like lights going and music going. And Wednesday night, you'd think, most people are busy, you know, they save that for the weekend. And yet the entire bar was just filled with people, all with drinks in their hands, all probably after a really hard day of work. And here they are tiring out their bodies and their minds even more and putting in substances in their bodies that maybe their bodies don't need. You know, when we're thirsty, what we're really thirsty for is water, maybe not so much a gin and tonic, just something to think about. When we're hungry, maybe we're hungry for wholesome foods and not something covered in chocolate and sprinkles and it's been baked in the oven with a lot of butter or something, you know, all of these things. So this might sound a little preachy. I don't mean for it to sound that way. In fact, I hope it's encouraging because we're all facing stresses and troubles in our lives. And that's partly why we come to Buddhism in the first place, because we, we feel there's some promise of relief and release. And there is, but we got to do the work. Oddly enough, the work of not working. That effortless effort, relaxing into the present moment, relaxing into the body, retreating from the outside world so that we can rest from the outside world, if only for a time. That's where we find that healing. That's where we find that restoration. That's where we begin to find that peace. I, I truly believe that that's why the Buddha said that all of that peace and tranquility can be found inside. But it does involve some retreating from the world. It does involve some renunciation. One of those words we don't always like. In any case, uh, let, me, let me go ahead and end it there.
And I hope that afterward, if you want to ask questions, you may. But also, you might share, which could be fun, the ways you take care of yourselves, your own version of self-care in your lives. And maybe we can inspire each other to practice better and to live better. Thank you.